You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 398. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey son, hey son! Annika! Are you yes. well? How's the COVID status in your home? Oh, in your yeah, home? Yeah, yeah. I'm back, yes. And um, we're all negative by now. <laughs> hmm? Don't be so negative. Oh, yes, you should be negative. <laughs> in that regard, I should be, yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> it was actually a bit of a... I don't know if you want to call it a non-surprise, but yeah. You guys already mentioned on the on the show that I got sick in Manchester. And then when we arrived home, we were like, uh, we maybe should take a test because we're coughing. We can't smell anything. So mm. yeah, let's just be hey. prudent. Three years into the pandemic to, to just do a test. And yeah, it got positive so quickly. It was really like, <laughs> never all seen right. such a positive test. Luna too? Yeah, all of us. Oh, all yeah. of us. Yeah. Hey. Gee. So yeah, we uh, we spent basically a week hibernating. <laughs> <laughs> was that your and first time? Yeah, yeah, that was the first time for us. Yeah, yeah. But we we have been boosted and vaccinated um, to the hilt, except for Luna. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, we got through it in the end. <laughs> yeah, I think this is to be yeah. expected. There were a few other COVID cases that mm-hmm. probably got them at QED. Not to yeah. blame you, Annika. They're probably we don't know who was the. Exactly. I, I know Marsh. Michael Marshall, he had COVID after COVID, after COVID, after QED. <laughs> and uh, it, I think we will just have to learn to live with it now. If, exactly. if you go to big events, mm-hmm. a few of us will get COVID. And, and uh, it's also possible with a big event like that, there were like possibly several strains there. Could be, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, because I did see Marsh, but it was not in close contact with him that I, I could have infected him, for example. No, I was playing a, a pool with Marsh until four o'clock in the morning uh, on Sunday night or you Monday morning, it. really, and I didn't get it. So you, you never know how it could mm-hmm, going to. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm. And uh, I was wearing a mask a lot of the times that, that we spent there. I did have a, f- a weird feeling, uh, but it's the usual thing that I, I get from being exposed to AC all the time. Mm-hmm. Because I came back from the US a couple of days before QED. And th- the US is crazy when it comes to uh, using AC. <laughs> They cool everything down. And this is how the US and Canada, this is how I, back in 2012, got my atypical pneumonia. Uh-huh. Uh, that you usually get from airborne bacteria that are being spread by AC. Yeah, it's not that it's cold, it's that it spreads all the bacteria exactly. around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I probably came down with one of those because when I started feeling it, um, well, I was feeling it all along in, uh, in the US. And I did several tests before I came to QED. Mm, yeah. And so uh, whenever it occurred to me, I, I was wearing a mask, uh, mostly because whenever I was exposed to the AC at QED, mm-hmm. I immediately started coughing. So mm. that's a thing yeah. for me. I had been wearing masks way before it got 
popular. <laughs> Before, <laughs> Before it was cool. So, all right. So welcome to the podcast that we complain about uh, being sick all the time. Uh, maybe yeah. we should move on a little the bit. The European I... Sickness Podcast. Oh, yes, exactly. The ESP. <laughs> yeah, the ESP. But speaking of COVID, the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine was jointly announced to be given to Katalin Koriko and Drew Weissman. And Katalin Koriko happens to be a Hungarian national. So um, it's always nice to see the prize go to a fellow Hungarian national. I'm especially proud of that fact because what they did was absolutely mind-blowing and probably saved hundreds of millions of lives. The official announcement says that they got it for their discoveries concerning nucleoside-based modifications that enabled the development of effective mRNA vaccines against COVID-19. Obviously, the fact that mRNA can be used to generate certain kinds of uh, proteins that can be used to boost the immune system and for a, to generate a reaction in the immune system it had been known before. But there were a couple of hurdles that we had to overcome. And they were the ones developing the technology and the methods to do that. And that is absolutely amazing. And unfortunately, Kotalin Koriko had to go through a couple of bumps in her career. She was often put aside. She was criticized a lot, sometimes for no reason whatsoever. She had to go through a lot of hardship to get here. And it's so nice to finally see the recognition that she gets. Mm-hmm. internationally and mm-hmm. she's she's been getting prizes all over the place uh, with drew weissman so i'm very happy about that mm-hmm. well deserved yes and it was exactly. well anticipated as well yeah it wasn't a surprise yeah it wasn't a surprise it's been talked about since the covid vaccines uh, have been on the market but i'm I, I agree it's very well deserved and finally she gets it with drew weissman and um interesting fact another hungarian <laughs> Got a Nobel Prize. I'm, yeah, I'm focusing on the Hungarians, but I hope that everyone <laughs> understands why it's important. The Nobel Prize in Physics went to a team of researchers. One of them is uh, Pierre uh, Agostini from the Ohio State University in the USA, Ferenc Krauss from the Max Planck Institute of Quantum Optics, and Anne Luyer from Lund University, Sweden. Mm-hmm. Yes, so Sweden is there as well. Thank you. Sweden is there as well. Yep, and Germany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although with a Hungarian scientist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they got it for experimental methods that generate attosecond pulses of light for the study of electron dynamics in matter. They have developed something that could help us understand the inner workings of an atom a little bit further in depth. That is always exciting. It's always an absolutely amazing thing to have. And the funny thing, that I'd like to mention is that even though there are two Hungarians among these uh, scientists uh, who got the Nobel Prize, neither of them got it for research done in Hungary. Hmm. And that is a big trend. I mean, in the history of Hungarian Nobel laureates, there has only been one person, Albert Sengyorgi, you might have heard his name. I think I talked about him on this show before. He was the only one who got it for research done in Hungary. So that tells us a lot about 
<laughs> how, the research how climate in Hungary, the research, right? Exactly. The research climate that has been like that for, for a couple of decades, but it's getting worse in, yeah. in the last 10 years. You have to go years. abroad to do your research because you can't yeah. do it at home. That's, that's exactly. Yeah. And the Nobel Prize in Chemistry was announced as well for the discovery and synthesis of quantum dots. Mongi G. Bawendi, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and Louis E. Brousse, Columbia University, and Alexei I. Ekimov from the Nanocrystals Technology Incorporated from New York. So, uh, yeah, these are exciting things. I always read these announcements with a lot of excitement because this is where groundbreaking science is being recognized. And that is always a cool thing to have. And it's nice to see that the whole world is talking about that. And that puts a special focus on science and the frontiers of science. And we cannot have enough of that, right? <laughs> no, that's right. For instance, the prize in medicine or physiology, that is about a technology that when the next pandemic comes around... We will mm -hmm. be much better prepared to, to quickly develop new vaccines. And not just for pandemics, I guess, for, for any kind of disease. Even cancer research is being involved in this. So it's, it's, there's a whole lot of things that we can reach with this technology. Yeah, amazing. Mm -hmm. All right. So what else is new around well, here? If people still remember, we were at QED. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which was good. So we have a couple of, uh, or we have a four interviews, I believe, coming up on this episode as well as a continuation of what we started last week. And uh, then just as a teaser for future episodes, I didn't stay at home when I came back from QED. I went to the Gothenburg Book Fair, where the Swedish skeptics mm. had a double stand, really. One where we sold T-shirts and memberships and books and stuff. And one where we had guests, we had podcast recording, we had interviews, we had panel debates. And uh, there will be at least, well, I think one interview coming from that that you will hear in a future episode as well. Very interesting. It's about uh, myths regarding legal, the legal system and judicial things like that. Not things that we talk about that much, but, uh, you know, every area has their myths and misconceptions and people don't really understand what's going on, which is bad. <laughs> yeah. So that's coming up yeah, for another episode. Awesome. And it's great that you were out there spreading the word of, of, of skepticism and science and all spreading that. Spreading the gospel. Some... <laughs> yeah. The Gothenburg Book Fair is a big thing. I mean, there were over the four days, the organizers said there were 85,000 visitors. Wow. So so it is big. It's really, really big. And we, you get to meet all kinds of people. Some uh, uh, tinfoil hats as well. Coming, <laughs> trying to uh, convince us that we are in the pockets of Big Pharma, things like that. But most people gave us a very positive vibe or welcome and mm -hmm. wanted to know more. And we recruited over, well, almost 60 new members. So 16 or 60? 60, 60. Wow. Wow. Hmm? You have a shitload of members anyway. I mean, <laughs> like, how many? Well, yeah, well, the Swedish, uh, well, I haven't checked the latest number, but it's around two and a half thousand members, which is wow. big for a small country as Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a little bit different because of our organization, for example, it's very small because the membership is different because the membership means that you are actually a voting member of the organization and the structure is probably different because yeah. your membership is more like on a subscription basis, isn't it? Yes, but 
when we have our annual meeting, everyone is welcome. Fortunately, mm-hmm. not all the 2,500 people have shown up <laughs> at once yeah, any that, time that because be that would be hard to organize. But in theory, they could. They then elect a board and then the oh, okay. board is doing a lot together with the local chapters. We have five or six local chapters as well doing local activism and who gets... They, they are part of the organization full on and they get support from the central... Oh, okay. hmm? Oh, that's good to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been doing this for eight years and, and we haven't <laughs> made that clear before. Okay. okay. <laughs> that's the Swedish model. There are other models in other countries. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd like to mention something regarding the interviews that we recorded. One of them was with Anna Williams. She's a forensic scientist. And that is another really cool area of science that I think a lot of us dream about, especially when watching all those cop movies where they are the heroes finding out a lot about what ha- what actually happened uh, at a crime scene or something. She gave a talk on why the UK needs body farms. And I previously, I hadn't had the slightest idea of what body farms are. Turns out they are the ones where, well, you know what? Why don't we let her, Anna Williams, the expert, tell our listeners what body farms are? <laughs> Very good idea, I think. All right. Okay, I'm excited okay. to hear. So now we are at lunch break at the second day of QED Question, Explore, Discover. And here with me is... Anna Williams, uh, who gave a lecture yesterday about whether the UK needs body farms. So, Anna, what's your background and uh, what are body farms? Okay, hi. Um, Thank you for inviting me here. My name is Professor Anna Williams. I'm a professor of forensic science at the University of Central Lancashire. And I was very pleased to be invited to talk about whether the UK needs a body farm. A body farm is the colloquial term for what we properly call a human taphonomy facility. And they are um, outdoor laboratories where forensic scientists monitor the decomposition of donated human cadavers to see how they decompose in different, uh, in different conditions, different um, environments, so that we can improve our techniques for estimating how long they've been dead or trying to find them or uh, identifying them. So you basically use them as reference points when it comes to actual cases that you investigate? Yeah, we need to get background data about uh, the the factors that influence decomposition and to learn just to build our fundamental knowledge about what happens in different environments because there's there's only casework really to go on or uh, experiments using animal cadavers. So forensic science, it sounds very exciting. Is it as exciting as we see it in the movies? Well, (laughs) it's not as glamorous as it's uh, portrayed on the TV or or in the movies, but in in a way, I kind of owe the popularity of forensic science to those kind of portrayals. Um, So we need to keep the uh, mystery alive. (laughs) But no, in real life, it's hard work. (laughs) It's like any other job. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
And your background is uh, anthropology, uh, your original background, um, as you shared it with me, because uh, we were lucky enough to share a table last night at the gala dinner. So um, is it very different from when somebody is doing a much more of a lab-related kind of job, like more of chemistry and uh, the big machines and all that? Do you work with those too? Yeah, it's very broad the the scope of forensic anthropology is very broad the scope of anthropology itself is even huger it covers the study of humankind that's any existing human any human that's ever existed or will ever exist so so that's very broad but if you um, narrow it down to the field of forensic anthropology it's very varied in my experience the analyses we do can be very low tech using just uh, visual observation um, measuring bones um, or it can be extremely high tech in laboratories using chemical analyses using um, high-tech microscopic equipment etc one question about your profession but because i'm pretty sure that many of our listeners have that same question in their heads do you have nightmares occasionally because of your job well i did actually share with you didn't i last night that um when i first started uh doing doing my master's in forensic anthropology i i did experience some nightmares i did uh worry about members of my family Um, being murdered in all sorts of uh, wondrous ways, uh, mainly because I was just taking in so much new information about about different cases and different uh, murder scenes, and you know it was natural for my my brain to make all these connections. Um, but um, they soon went away, and they were sort of overtaken by a passion for this subject. It's it's so interesting. It's such a intellectual challenge to understand a, a crime scene to solve a puzzle that's way overtaken the nightmares uh, that's good to hear but i'm pretty sure that uh, you get to apply a healthy amount of skepticism in your work as well and that that is a skill set that you actually need right oh well that's hard to answer because i am naturally a skeptic i've been a skeptic all my life i don't know how to be anything but a skeptic uh so and and um skepticism is basically healthy science you know if you can critique other people uh, other people's work if you can critique critique your own work um that's what you have to do to be a, a good scientist But even though you have always been a skeptic, as you say, um, this is your first time at QED, uh, which is very nicely indicated on um, your uh, name tag um, because the organizers, they basically pay attention to all the details. Like They give us the chance to uh, tell everyone how we would like to be addressed, uh, he, she, they, them, uh, and, and whether it's the first time. So it's brilliant. So... How do you like it so far? I have really loved it. I, I didn't really have uh, many expectations. I didn't know what to expect. I, I looked at a few YouTube videos of previous um, uh, speakers and thought, wow, the quality of uh, the speakers is very high and I didn't know how I would uh, fit in. Um, so far, I have been really impressed, not only with the organization uh, and, and the things that you're saying, the kind of uh, welcoming um, Uh, attitude that there is and, and, and very inclusive 
uh, feeling. Um, but I've also been impressed with the um, variety and the quality of, of the speakers and the topics and the panels. Um, I haven't been able to go to all the things that I wanted to go to, I have, um, but I have watched a panel discussion and uh, most of the main stage talks. I haven't been to a, the podcast, for example. Um, but yeah, I've, I've loved it. And I like, what I like is meeting people who, well, who think like me, but who, um, but also people who don't think like me. But as long as we can um, have a healthy uh, debate and, and we can respect each other's opinions as we discuss, um, that makes for uh, a fun and lively discussion. Yeah, it ends it all adds up to a fun and lively weekend as well. It's it's just amazing to be here. But that wasn't your first ever time giving a talk at a skeptical event because you were on Skeptics in the Pub as well, right? Uh, I've given uh, I think three um, Skeptics in the Pub's talks. Um, Barnsley, Coventry, and Leicester, I think, are the ones I've I've uh, attended and and presented at. But. Uh, since there are more and more um, live events um, happening, <laughs> thankfully, if someone wants to, to get in touch with you and find you, um, perhaps to ask for a, for a talk, uh, where can they find you? Oh, right. Well, I have my website, which is uh, forensicanna.com. Okay. And or you can email me at uclan, which is uh, awilliams34 at uclan.ac.uk Brilliant. Enjoy the rest of the weekend and Anna Williams, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, so I think I'm not the only one who's getting more excited about forensic science. Uh, <laughs> it's really a fascinating field. But um, there have been a lot of other uh, occasions to talk to people about other stuff. Uh, some of them organizers, leaders of organizations and some of them skeptical activists doing exciting stuff. So why don't we listen to them as well and uh, hear what they have to say. Post-QED, there are all kinds of activities going on still, um, including a bunch of people going out uh, for dinner together. And I'm here now with Avi Steiner um, from the US or Germany. Or So what's going on, Avi? So I am from uh, near the Chicago area, from the Chicago area originally, but I currently live in Leipzig in Germany uh, because I am a mathematician and... I got paid by some collaborators to come live in Germany for a little bit, and that's where I am now. Well, collaborators? Are we talking about like a large conspiracy of uh, uh, world domination, or what? 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 What kind of collaborators? Yes. <laughs> so no, the mathematicians are taking over the world. Yes, uh, very um, methodically and very precisely. We have to. We use our computers to calculate all the the ways that this is going to work. Um, we actually have come up with a bunch of our own programming languages so that we, we, get, we don't have to communicate with anybody outside of math. Um, no, but I'm, these are collaborators of mine um, on the research that I did as a PhD student. And first, one of them offered me some money to come uh, visit him in Mannheim. And so I was there for 10 months. And then I moved after that to uh, the University of Chemnitz, or technically University of Chemnitz. But uh, Chemnitz is a weird city with a lot of Nazis and nobody wants to live there so instead I live an hour away in Leipzig as does my supervisor so 
really, we the only time I ever go into Chemnitz is if my supervisor tells me I have to. Okay, uh, but this is not the first time we meet because we, we met you at the European Skeptics Corner in Vienna as well last year. Uh, but what brings you to QED? Well, last year I wanted to go to QED, but I only had enough money really to go to either QED or this thing in Vienna. And everyone is telling me afterwards how much fun QED is supposed to be. So I was like, well, I don't have to choose this year. So I'm going to go to QED and it lived up to as much fun as I thought it was going to be. It was amazing. I made a lot of new friends. I met old friends. It was it was great. The talks were great. Um, the panels were great. The podcasts were great. Although, if you if anyone does go in the future, make sure you if you want to go to a podcast, you get to the line way ahead of time. <laughs> Otherwise, you're never going to get in. Yeah, yeah, they were very popular, all of them. Yeah, but how did you find skepticism? Have you always self-identified as a skeptic? No, I actually, when I was in seventh or eighth grade, I think I um, wanted to be a rabbi. Um, that did not last very long, and my dad uh, tells tells it as he didn't know where 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 he went wrong. <laughs> but um, eventually, I, sometime in high school, I discovered the blog Good Math, Bad Math. And from there, I was introduced to things like Skeptoid and the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And ever since, I've been following these kind of things. And now, I eventually got to QED. And it's been lovely to have you here. Um, and uh, I'll let you go on your merry ways because um, you have to leave because of an early flight. Yeah. But worry. it's great that you stayed. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I should not have booked such an early flight, but I did. Well... You'll do better better next time. Next time. Avi Steiner, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, so this is the last night of uh, QED. We just saw the big farewell to the organizers. Everybody was cheering. It's been a wonderful time. And I'm here with Claire Klingenberg, who is, of course, the head of the Czech Skeptics. And no, not the head of the... She is the... Uh, I'm the co-coordinator of the Czech Paranormal Challenge, and I'm on the board of the Czech Skeptics. All right, okay. So in my head, you're the head. So, <laughs> okay. And of course, listeners will recognize her from, from many, many episodes we've done together. And you uh, were part of this. You did the panel and you stepped in on the main stage when there was a last minute cancellation. And you gave a very, a very good talk about what the Czech skeptics are doing and also the Uh, looking into paranormal stuff. Uh, there were goats, there were uh, secret military bunkers that we can talk about another time, I think. But there was also another anecdote that popped up over the over the weekend, which was uh, nice, about a ghost hunting in Prague. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So, yeah, so uh, on the panel with Haley Stevens, we were talking about the various uh, cases we get called into as skeptics and Uh, Ghostbusters, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to call? <laughs> exactly. So uh, we got called once a couple of years ago to the National Library uh, into their security room, which was being haunted by a ghost of a little boy. Yeah. Uh, so this is this uh, the National Library contains uh, the works of the original works uh, manuscripts of Tycho de Brahe, Copernicus, Kepler, and other uh, very interesting people of history of science history that have worked in Prague at one time or another. So it's like these this kind of level of value of what they have there. 
and their security room was being haunted, so that was a serious issue. Of course, yes. So many of you might have heard of the pictures of the crying boy. It was a series of paintings done after World War II to document uh, the horrible impact of the world war on kids. And these paintings have become quite infamous uh, with a lot of stories tied to them as, for example, someone's house burned down and only the painting stayed in, intact or the people in that house were murdered when they had the painting on the wall. So there have been a lot of scary stories attached to this painting. And they had a copy of it on the wall in the library as well, in the security room. And the boy was leaving, the ghost of the boy was leaving the painting and marking up the walls. So to appease the ghost, they started putting chocolate on top of the frame. Mm -hmm. um, and the chocolate was disappearing. Not only were new marks appearing, but the chocolate was disappearing. Ooh. So, so uh, yeah. So who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? So, <laughs> so you, you went there and investigated. A couple of you, I guess. So, yes, yeah. yes. A few of us came, went there to investigate. Um, but it honestly could have been a one-man or one-woman or one-person job. The, what happened was that because these rooms were freshly reconstructed and repainted, and the paint was slowly drying, you could start seeing more and more marks on the wall, um, which were parallel and reddish. And if you look closer you could see quite easily that they were brush strokes. Mm. So it was just that the painters who were painting the walls didn't really wash their equipment well before they started painting the walls white. And the ends of the strokes, the paint was starting to show through as the, paint, the outside wall was drying. So unfortunately... Yeah, no ghosts. Sometimes you should watch the paint dry, right? Because then you would have seen what happens. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't explain the chocolate. You're right. Yes, the chocolate. Well, um, as this is a highly secure area, there has to be full security 24-7. So they change shifts. So the missing chocolate was explained by interviewing the second shift. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So again, if you think about it, maybe disappearing chocolate isn't such a big mystery after yeah, all. Yeah, probably the mystery of disappearing chocolate would not make headlines, no. No, all right. So, But it's interesting to, to see that even in a prestigious place like that, where you would, about science, history, and you would think, logical, rational thinking, even uh, ghosts can appear because people are people everywhere. And it's, uh, I guess it's an, uh, an attractive idea. Yeah. Uh, that ghosts are there. Yeah. And I think also a lot of people kind of feel, and that was a point I was trying to make with my talk, that like once you uncover the mystery, it makes it less fun or less exciting. Or when you say there isn't a ghost, suddenly the fun disappears. But I don't think so. I think the stories of in explaining why people feel there is a ghost or why people go to that, get to that conclusion are as fascinating as if there actually was a ghost there. Yeah. And it's going back to the basics of skepticism and of applying the Oakham's razor where people mistakenly misinterpreted as saying it's the simplest solution as the correct one when the simplest solution is very different for many different people mm. so for skeptics the simple solution is paint is drying mm. for others it could be there's a ghost yeah. so make sure you don't cut yourself with your Occam's razor <laughs> and stay vigilant yes right okay Claire thank you very much I think we're going to uh, have some fun tonight as well yes going out for a bit and relaxing after a very intense three days but thank you, thank you. Thank you. It was amazing as always. Yeah. <laughs> Around the bar area, I just caught a friend of ours, uh, Sherdar Bashegnes. Yes. <laughs> um, 
So I don't want to keep you for long because there, there are all sorts of things being organized here. But uh, this has been a wonderful weekend, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and you've been very active. You gave a talk. I'd like you to, to mention what you, you gave the talk on and that, what your general opinion is on the weekend that's behind us now. Uh, yeah, first of all, uh, I gave a small talk in the skipped camp uh, section. It's a lightning talk, so 10 minutes talk, whatever I could, I could fit in 10 minutes, uh, which was like not much. But I, I, I talked about a small part of a bigger case in my mind for a long time. I wrote a Turkish article in time. So the parodies getting into the real world understood like a real thing. And I took the case from Turkey, uh, which is a made-up element named Contorium. And uh, after a while, since it's talking to a specific political narrative, it's made a huge deal in Turkey and uh, became a viral sensation in time and became a part of a conspiracy narrative at the same time. So everything I am really curious about in the same package uh, together. So that was a delicious topic for me. Uh, anyway, that's it. Uh, Skeptics in the Pub Online uh, team had a wonderful job. The all talks, 16 talks, they are all on YouTube and uh, they are all going to YouTube at some yeah. point. Right now they are on Twitch. It's a wonderful organization. About the conference, before the conference, I was surprised with the content, actually. In the first view, content seems a little bit different from what we are talking in the skeptic circles. But when you enter to, uh, listen to those talks, every one of them actually pointing the right core of a skeptical activism Uh, related topic. I mean, for instance, Alice made an incredible talk about wellness in Alice Howard. Alice Howard, uh, great talk about in the uh, wellness industry, where she pointed that the regulation of the wellness industry is n- not the thing we should concentrate. The wellness is- industry is uh, coming from a different uh, problem in the society, uh, which is about uh, women rights and uh, gender discrimination, etc. Uh, and, of course, public health system. So that's the thing, actually, we need to look for uh, in the skeptical activism. The real problem, we should deal with the real problems. We can, of course, deal with the results. We can still deal with conspiracy theories. We can still deal with fake news. Uh, alternative medicine but the real energy is needed in what is causing those issues what is causing to, uh, for instance conspiracy theories are mostly getting from uh, confined social areas and a bunch of economical and cultural problems and increasing polarization in the political space That kind of problems we should also deal with. So the conference hits very specific points uh, very well in this matter.
Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, we we know what we're talking about because even though you live in the UK, uh, you are from Turkey. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I gave a talk on uh, the issues in Hungary in that regard. And uh, yeah, you, you did come up to me afterwards and said <laughs> that, uh, well, welcome to the club. Um, so yeah, how many QEDs have you attended so far? This is the second one. Okay, yeah. so if there is a QED next year, we will meet here. Of course. <laughs> of course, definitely. See you then. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. So, I believe this covers everything that we have prepared for this episode. We wanted to do a second part of our report from QED. Next week, we are coming back with our regular format of the show. Stay tuned for that. Onika Pontus, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis bald. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Their discoveries concerning nucleoside Nucleoside, sorry, nucleoside, okay Alright, but I believe that was basically all that we had prepared for this year This year 